0: the following podcast is a proud member of the blue collar roots network find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com here's the president and primary owner of true tech tools licensed engineer and the nicest bs artist you will ever meet bill spone welcome back to another episode of the building hvac science podcast i'm your host bill spone created this podcast to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping to work together with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today, we're going to be talking about this kind of crossover aspect here, but why you need to pay attention to national standards that affect HVAC installations. Attention, all HVAC techs. Soon, someone will be looking over your shoulder. Now, it's not going to be the homeowner with severe coffee breath and a million little questions. It's going to be a home energy rater giving a grade to your HVAC installation. What? Yeah, like it or not, this is going to happen. And it's justified. It's justified because the work done by HVAC techs is so important. Important to the occupant's comfort, safety, and health, as well as their utility bills and the utility companies in general as they try to balance the supply and demand of energy. Residential HVAC is a big topic in the utility world, you probably know this. If not, you're going to hear more about it. In fact, we'll do another podcast with an expert in this area a little bit later. Today, though, we're going to listen to Jeremy Begley of the HVAC Design Partners of Cincinnati, Ohio, sharing with us how paying attention to standards has helped to shape his entrepreneurial career. Specifically, the standard we'll be talking about is the upcoming ACO ResNet standard on grading the installation of HVAC systems. Now, as a really timely note here, the comment period on the first draft of the new standard which is ACCA ResNet 310, is closing on August 6, 2019. So hopefully you'll hear this before that date. And if you want to review or comment, just go to this link. It's www.bitly.bit.ly forward slash ResNet, uppercase letters, R-E-S-N-E-T, dash ACCA, uppercase, A-C-C-A, dash 310. The link is also in the show notes. And Jeremy's got a lot to share with both the HVAC and building performance industries, and he comes on the podcast to encourage others to review and engage in this standard development activity and other important HVAC standards. You'll hear about the methodology, the standards, and how it has five steps design review, total duct leakage, blower door fan CFM test, and a blower fan CFM test, and a blower fan watt draw test, and a non invasive evaluation of refrigerant charge, or the non invasive system test, the NIST found in Quick. Besides being important to HERS ratings, this is basic physics and the methods described have positive impact outside of the rating world, so it really behooves you to take a look at this standard and see what they're talking about. If you want to learn more about the standard itself, you can go to bit.ly.com, bit.ly forward slash resnet dash 310 info. So that's bit.ly forward slash resnet, R E S N E T. 310 info I-N-F-O, all uppercase letters. Now, you're going to find a link to the ResNet conference slides on this topic and a link to another podcast that I host, ResTalk, where I interviewed Wes Davis of ACCA and Dean Gamble of EPA on this standard. If you want to learn more about the services and training that Jeremy offers, you can reach out to him via the contact form on his website, HVACDesignPartners.com. That's H-V-A-C-D-E-S-I-G-N. Partners dot com. Okay, enough of me talking. Let's hear what Jeremy has to say. Good morning, Jerry. Good
1: morning, Bill. How are you? Great.
0: So we're going to talk about something that's actually coming up now. Right now is if you listen to this later, it may have already passed. But Resnet, a residential energy services network, has uh, is working with Aca, Air Conditioning Contractors of America. Uh, standard, which will enable ResNet raters to grade HVAC design and installation. We're going to talk about that, kind of break it down. Jeremy's got sort of like a foot in both courts, I would say, in terms of hers rating and in terms of HVAC. So it's going to be an interesting conversation, sort of like bridging those two worlds and seeing what goes on there. So Jeremy, first, give me a little bit of background on who you are and what you do, where you're from, et cetera.
1: Sure. I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Currently, I would say my two biggest hats, so to speak, are green building verification and uh, HVAC design and commissioning in the residential and light commercial world. My background is pretty interesting when it comes to those two industries, how I got into it. Back in 2008, 2009 time period, I was in the service industry. I had 15 years in the food and beverage industry. And I had went back to school for environmental engineering. Right at that time, it was during the first Obama campaign when he was just campaigning for president. And a lot of his campaign had to do with green jobs and reviving the economy and things like that. So I ended up getting the opportunity to, through the Cincinnati State, where I was taking the environmental engineering degree track at, go up to Washington, D.C. for a conference on climate change. It was called Power Shift, and during that conference, one of the big tracks was green jobs and what is a green job, and they started talking about an initiative that was known as the Yellow Brick Road Initiative, and what that was was basically the president's idea, and at that time, Van Jones, who was the environmental director for President Obama, they had an idea to restore the economy by helping fix the energy usage in residential homes. And basically it was putting contractors to work, fixing energy usage in residential homes. And then that way, the people that lived in the homes would benefit from the energy savings and be able to put the money that they saved back into the economy that way. So it would simultaneously get people back to work and people spending money that they didn't originally have. They referenced an organization called BPI, which a lot of people in our industry are familiar with, the Building Performance Institute and said that they were going to use that organization as a training organization for the contractors that would be fixing the homes. So when I got back to Cincinnati State, they were super interested in the BPI organization. So they ended up bringing the training to Cincinnati State. And I went through and became a quote unquote building analyst. And through their co-op program, started knocking on doors and trying to use that certification to get a co-op. And it was like insulation companies, window companies, HVAC, all the people BPI recommended you to talk to. Well, all those companies locally basically said, "Eh, that green stuff's a fad. It's never going to be around. Energy audits, ha ha ha, basically. And so from there, I opened up my own business, basically. I had a friend who was a graphic artist, and he really encouraged me. He's like, I can build you a website, get you some business cards going. I figured out how to get a little financing, bought the equipment, and just started doing the energy audits on my own. Around that same time, a local grant organization known as the Greater Cincinnati Energy Alliance came into existence, and they brought a lot of local grant money to do energy audits and the retrofit work that became known as home performance, basically but they did not have any contractors that were qualified to do that except for my company, Cincinnati Energy Solutions, and one other company that was sort of north of the Cincinnati market. So we started doing a lot of stuff trial by fire, and I started learning the home performance business from the home performance side, learning a little bit about HVAC, all the things that go along with that. Then later on, the Obama administration released what entailed the former Yellow Brick Road initiative, but it became known as the Aura Funds, the Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And our area got $17 million, one of the bigger grants to do energy work in the area. And so it just, that market blew up at that time once that money came to the area. So we were doing full-blown home performance, a lot of different companies competing in that market. And one of the things that I did as I was involved in that market is I was on the BPI LinkedIn site on the internet and started learning a lot on my own. And there's a lot of talk about oversizing and how you should be sizing equipment. And that's one of the things that nobody really focused on in our area at all was proper sizing of equipment. And so I started trying to use energy audit programs like uh, TREAT and uh, another program called Recurve to Size Equipment and Size It the Right Way. And I ended up undersizing a few pieces of equipment because i wasn't matching the equipment up right properly using manual s and those sorts of things that you have to do the whole procedure that actually gets you to the right place and i ended up having to replace i worked in the test commercial test and balance world for a couple years so i have that under my belt and i also offer that service and do a lot of the we have a very robust lead for homes and uh Energy Star market in my area, so I do a lot of the green building verification for Lead for Homes and Energy Star, and the biggest Lead for Homes provider in our area, which is Green Building Consulting, that I sub a lot of my verification work out for. I do a hundred percent review of all the load calculations that come through their shop as well as part of what I do.
0: That's pretty amazing. I mean, I like the fact that you started from knocking on doors. <laughs> you really you followed the entrepreneur script of going out there and figuring out where the customers are what they needed, what you had. It's a very interesting story, actually. I, n- I never knew that. I've known you for quite a while, but never knew that whole backstory. That's pretty amazing.
1: It is, and it was a lot of right place at the right time. Cincinnati just became a green hub. There was a lot of things that went into place. On the new construction side, in addition to the grant money for the retrofit stuff, we had a, a residential construction tax abatement That kind of turned into a lead tax abatement where you got a certain amount of taxes abated for a certain amount of years for just building inside the city limits. It was to try to revitalize the city area. And when all the green stuff started happening, they had a lead. You could get a bigger tax abatement and a longer tax abatement if you built to the lead standard. And that stuff is still going on today. And that's really the driver for the lead for homes market in our area. So
0: what have you seen in terms of the SACA's? joint standard by Resnet and Akka. It's right now it's actually up for review. It's I believe it's the first time it's been off for public review. It's it's created, now it's been offered for public review. Did you get a chance to look at it or what would you recommend people do when, with regard to this?
1: So, that Akka standard, I was really I've been following it since it very first came into existence. I was really excited about it because one of the things that And I don't like to use the word policed, but one of the things that don't get policed a lot in the industry is the actual installation. And even from this, this standard is written from an ENERGY STAR and RESNET. People basically working in energy programs would be subject to it. So even in that world where we robust way to review the HEAC design that ENERGY STAR gave to us, and really it's based on ACA standards by and large that ACA gave to us. ACA has a quality installation standard. But there wasn't a lot of people being held to that. So you saw a lot of on the installation and a lot of faults where there's just to hurry up and get out of there type attitude. And you didn't have a good way for HERS Raiders to understand the installation process and understand what a quality installation should look like. So I was really excited to see that Energy Star sort of, you know, taking this thing by the reins uh, along with ACA and ResNet and trying to create something where we can really start looking at the quality of the installation and how it actually affects the rest of the HVAC installation. Because if you have a good design, we all know you're only as good as your weakest link. So even if the design's good and you get all the way down the line and a thing is sized right and it's matched right and everything like that, and the ducts are designed to, in a manner that that should provide the air that you need, if you get into the installation side and a lot of that stuff gets ignored or the other steps of the installation, quality installation are ignored, then the design stops meaning as much. And a lot of times the design gets blamed for the bad installation. And that is really like a sticking point for me because I'm big on design first and then install Install second, and the installation should be based on the design. And people always want to go back and point at the design and say, Well, we told you it was undersized, or we told you that was never going to work. And a lot of times, if it had been installed in the manner that the design set forth, then there would be no finger pointing to do, so to speak. So I'm actually really happy with this being written and the fact that they're trying to use the carrot instead of the stick, sort of offer a couple of first points to try to incentivize people to get used to doing it. Hopefully that leads into some longer term usage of the standard where it gets implemented straight into the process at some point where it's required instead of just a little incentive. The way that they're actually trying to break it into the market, because HVAC contractors typically have never had their installations looked at in some manner before. So it's going to be a little sore point. For a lot of them. And it's going to take voluntary participation at first. But I think once we start seeing the long-term results of it and and what it can do for the homes that we're building, uh, I think that a lot of people probably will start doing it by choice. And to be fair, a lot of the more quality HVAC contractors aren't going to have a problem with this because they already have these steps implemented anyway. They understand that this is the way to actually install a piece of equipment and make sure that it's going to operate properly. The thing that I'm a little concerned about is in the Raider world, it will take some training because a lot of guys are scared of the HVAC side of things. Um, That either comes from just not really getting a full education because it's something that, let's be blunt about it, it's sort of been the redheaded stepchild of the Raider world, the HVAC side of it. Like You get a ton of information and training on the building envelope side of it. But whether it's ResNet or BPI or whatever, once you get down to the HVAC side, which is sort of the veins of the house, I like to look at the house as sort of the body. And then the HVAC system is sort of the heart and the veins of the house that pumps the blood through the body. When you look at it that way, they sort of have been really good at training you on the body itself. But when it gets to the inner workings of the house, there's not a lot of training that's been out there for Raiders to take advantage of. So, through the years, we have a lot of Raiders out there that are just, you know, for lack of a better term, scared of the HVAC side of things. And they don't really want to have that conversation with the contractors and say, this is what you should or shouldn't be doing. They've always deferred back to the contractor. So it's going to be a little bit of uh, getting used to on both sides, I think.
0: I think so. And like right now, as we're recording this, this is late July 2019. The actual standard itself is up for its first public comment period, and that closes on August 6th. So we're going to try to get this produced and out there and get some people listening to this so they can actually get involved with the public comment period, see what's going on, see what Jeremy's talking about, and then be able to lend their comments and learn from where the standard's going. So just for the listeners here, in case you listen to this, I just created a link a short link called, it's bit.ly forward slash, and these are all uppercase, resnet, R-E-S-N-E-T, dash ACCA, A-C-C-A, dash 310. That will take you to the page where then you can get a link to the standard, the proposed standard, the draft standard, and then also a place where you can insert your comments. And the way things go, they do actually review all the comments that have been Put in. It's been sent back to the committee to review. So, it's a chance for your voice to be heard, and also for you to get engaged mentally with where this is going. So, I actually I have the standard up on the screen here, and it really it breaks down. And I'm going to kind of uh, have Jeremy walk us through here. It's an illustration of workflow and diagnostic test methods. So, the first one is a design review, and that sounds like that's something you're involved with very frequently from the way your business is set up. Is that correct?
1: Correct. So the design review that they're talking about there is just the design review that anybody that's involved in Energy Star is already doing. The Energy Star has the HAC design review report, and there's about five or six items that they want you to check for to make sure that the design is being basically the house that is getting designed matches the house that's getting rated. So that's basically what that design review process. I'm not sure if they're going to add anything to that from the conference sessions that i've been to it didn't sound like they were going to initially they're just going to leave it at what the design review is right now as a company we do a much more thorough review of the designs when i work with green building consulting to review the designs that come just because we have the knowledge base there to really make sure that those designs fall fully in line the way that they should to match the actual akka standards and things like that the energy star is a little looser than that it, it um it leaves a little more up to the contractor to have done the right thing. And just for the rater to verify things like uh, infiltration levels that were used and the amount of occupants that are in the house, make sure the square footages match up, make sure that the windows match up all the main things that go into making a load correct. So I think that the way that they've been spinning it in the sessions is, Hey guys, this is something you've already been doing. So you get a a checkbox number one there for something that you're doing anyway inside our program.
0: Right. So, each one of these steps in the process, and there are five steps. So, this design review, it's if there's a pass, the tolerances are met, you move to the next stage. If there's a fail, tolerances are not met, you really don't get any grade in terms of this grading scheme that's being set up. So, let's move to step two. That's total duct leakage. And that's actually, the process is actually covered by ANSI ResNet ICC 380. And for those that aren't familiar, ANSI is American National Standards Institute, ResNet we talked about. ICC is the International Code Council. And this standard 380 has been out, I think it's been out for about maybe four or five years. And it it describes basically how to do a total duct leakage test. Any kind of comment on that?
1: No, I'd say that as far as the grading goes, so grade one is about where you are right now as far as if you're working inside the ENERGY STAR program and you're going by the ENERGY STAR Rater checklist and the compliance path that they lay forth to get a house Energy Star certified. Those metrics are pretty much what is being tested now. They're going to consider grade one. And then they added a grade two, which is a little bit lower of a threshold to have to meet. And grade one or grade two, you can get a passing grade. So they're actually giving you a little bit of leeway there. And then grade three is a fail. So,
0: right. Again, just we didn't cover this at the beginning, but this standard covers. ACs and heat pumps up to 65,000 BTUH and furnaces up to 125,000 BTUH for detached one and two family dwellings, townhouses, dwelling units, sleeping rooms, et cetera. So that's sort of the scope of this. This is what it affects. The next steps: so one is design review. Two is total duct leakage. Three is a blower fan airflow test. So this is actually inside the air handler, inside the equipment. And I see here there's four methods that they're allowable, the kind of the diagnostics, flow grid, pressure matching, flow hood, and static pressure table. Any thoughts or comments on those?
1: I got a couple things. One, I think steps three through five is where the raiders are really gonna have to get some additional training and just have been involved in the HVAC world because these are sort of HVAC-specific checks that most Raiders probably are not performing right now. The blower fan airflow, some Raiders may have have a flow grid and may have been using that to verify startup of equipment, but um, I don't see that a lot out there in the Raider world. And then from there on down, it gets more specific to the HVAC industry As far as which one of these methods may be easier for the Raider to do, I honestly think that the flow hood is probably not always going to be that useful because you have to have one main return grill and one main supply grill that you can actually put that flow hood on to be able to measure the flow and use that method the way that they describe in the standard. So I think that the flow grid or the static pressure is going to end up being the easiest way to comply with this particular step in the process static pressure probably being the easiest because it's really just two holes and then matching it to the static pressure table from the equipment
0: and then as you exit this if there's a pass you get a grade 1 or grade 2 similar to what you mentioned before with the duct leakage and then if there's a fail from this point of standard it's considered a grade 3 okay so moving on the next step step 4 is blower fan watt draw So they're actually interested in the consumption of energy at the blower fan itself. And the three diagnostic methods are plug-in wattmeter, clamp-on wattmeter, and a house utility meter. Any comments or thoughts about those?
1: Yeah, I think that probably the clamp-on wattmeter is going to be the only realistic method here. The house utility meter has to do with turning every other circuit in the house off and just letting the furnace run and then watching the meter as it spins or counts and then actually recording the data from there to figure out what wattage it's using. And then I found it super interesting to plug in watt meter. I was like, "What? how in the world in our market, most people don't, well, I won't say most, I'll say all furnaces and ACs are required to be hardwired through the electrical panel. So that was something that was like crazy to me. And it was brought up in one of the conference sessions that I was in at the ResNet conference. And they were like, yeah, most people think it's crazy, but we do have markets where the furnace plugs into the wall. Believe it or not, in a lot of rural areas, you have a a regular furnace that'll plug right into the wall and they can pull that plug out and put a plug watt meter in. So I never knew that. I've never seen that in my life. That does not exist in our market at all. So I guess that is a method that can be used, but by and large, a clamp on watt meter is probably something that raiders should go out and purchase if they're going to participate in grading the installation in the standard and get used to using fire. There's a, tons of YouTube videos that can show you how to use a clamp meter on a residential furnace where you can safely take watt draw on it, watt amp draw.
0: Just to say, not to sound offensive to people out there, but when you look at standards like this, it opens your eyes. It takes you out of your silo. Can you comment on that at all, Jeremy? Because you did say that it was a surprise to you to hear that at the conference. It, it's like, oh, there's other things going on out there. So I think this is sort of uh, like, it's kind of a, The water challenge, you get to dump a bucket of water and you have sometimes you look at these standards, go, what's going on here, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great thing. It's going to take a lot of people out of their comfort zone, but it also is going to get them involved in a, a piece of the process, either from on both ends of the spectrum. The Raiders are going to get involved in something that they necessarily wouldn't have got involved in on their own. And they're going to get to learn a lot more about how the HVAC system affects the overall performance of a home and how the actual, not only the HVAC system itself, but the installation of that HVAC system, how it affects it and if you look back at some of the studies that prompted this, it's very there's some very eye-opening data in there that Energy Star came up with when they did the studies on their own houses that had been Energy Star rated, but the installations had been bad. Either refrigerant charge was off, or some other part of the installation wasn't right. How it affected the energy of that piece of equipment in the home and what the bottom line of consumers getting what they're paying for. Because these thing, these boxes come out of the factory rated at 16 sear, but that's in a clean environment, in a laboratory conditions where everything is perfect. So the minute you start skewing one piece of that installation away from how the factory had it installed, you start losing that efficiency. And if it's bad enough, it's going to operate way down the scale from what they actually paid for.
0: Yeah. I think you probably, in your mind, you, you got that chart that I've seen before where it's a degradation in SEER level. It can be like up to like four SEER units less, even more, if you don't hit on all these parameters. And that's what the goal is here, is really to get people looking at these parameters. So the last one, the fifth one, is refrigerant charge. And the two methods, diagnostic methods mentioned are non-invasive temperature and weigh-in verification. So obviously, weigh-in verification you'll be handling refrigerants. So that would require your EPA 608 certification. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And mostly that's basically going to be you're going to watch the HVAC contractor do that. I don't think they anticipate Raiders going out getting an EPA certified to do this test, but they did come up with a very nice non-invasive way that Raiders can do the test. If they have a clamp on temperature gauge and an inside temperature probe, they could just basically get a delta T and come up with a number of where the charge at, whether it's good or bad. It's a good way, from what I understand, I'm still getting familiar with the process myself, but from what I understand, it's a good way to gauge a system that has just been installed, but not a great way to gauge the charge on a system that's been running for a while, if I understand that correctly.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's called a non-invasive system test. And there's actually some software we're working with, MeasureQuick, that actually has that built into it to help you come up with the, it really feeds this process, part of this process here. So if you um, make it through all five steps and you've passed each step going along, it then gets a grade one for the installation. I guess if you fail or terminate at any point in between, you'd be with a grade two or grade three. So that's how the grading happens. It's sort of this successive additive thing. Again, design review, total duct leakage, blower fan airflow, blower fan watt draw, and then refrigerant charge takes you to the ultimate to get a grade one rating.
1: As far as some of this stuff goes, like blower fan watt draw specifically and blower fan airflow, if raters take the time to educate themselves on what that's a symptom of, In the system itself, they can really start using this process outside of just grading the installation to understand what's going on in the system. Because a lot of times, you know, if you have a high watt draw, it's going to mean you have a flow problem or you have low refrigerant somewhere. And there's just all these different indicators that go along with the specific things that you're testing here where you can really become more useful as a raider than just basically grading the installation you can really start to understand how some of these things relate to what's going on in the system itself
0: absolutely yeah it's i mean a lot of times standards get written for a specific purpose but they still deal with the physics and the equipment that you encounter in business, that does it has nothing to do with ratings, so it isn't like it's just a like a singular study for a particular purpose. This has broader implications to your business, and I think it sort of sounds like that's why when I threw out there the thought that I wanted to have somebody talk about this, so you you jump forward because this has happened to you before. <laughs> this is like a recurring theme, right?
1: There's definitely once you know stuff, you cannot know. And so when when you go in and you diagnose these these pieces of equipment, sometimes for comfort issues or what have you, after a house has been rated or certified, and then you start dialing down into what happened and you realize that, you know, in the installation process, this thing or that thing happened, this is really going to stop some of those problems from happening. So a lot of times we'll get calls from homeowners after houses have been certified and say, hey, man, this is supposed to be the greatest house in the world, but it's not any better than the last house I lived in. What's going on? And so then we have to go out there and figure out Why that is, and it could be a bunch. You know, there's a bunch of different tests that you do, but this is the set of testing that we actually do is to find out is the installation of the equipment actually where it should be.
0: Yeah, I want to take a moment and mention one of the sponsors of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's Build Equinox. Build Equinox is the manufacturer of the Serve Two. That's the conditioning ERV. Of course, an ERV is an energy recovery ventilator. I like to call it a smart ventilator as it decides when to run based on integrated sensors. This very unique product contains a one-third horsepower variable speed heat pump to positively transfer more of the sensible and latent energy between this ERV's ventilation and exhaust streams. I'm so impressed with this product, I'll be using it in my own personalized performance home scheduled for occupancy by summer of 2020. So surf on over to www.BuildEquinox, E-Q-U-I-N-O-X.com, to learn more about the serve 2 which, by the way, is American-designed and made in a solar-powered factory in Urbana, Illinois. Also look for an episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where I interview the inventor, Ty Newell. And when you get in touch, tell them the Building HVAC Science Podcast sent you. Thanks. So, I don't know if I gave you a chance to actually plug your business and talk a little bit about it, but it's HVAC Design Partners, is that correct?
1: Correct. So HVAC Design Partners is a collaboration between myself and Paul Yankee, who is the owner of Green Building Consulting. We both have other businesses. I have a business called HVAC to Home Performance, which focuses on a lot of these topics. And um, I do design and test and balance and things like that under that umbrella. And all my verification is done under that umbrella. But HVAC Design Partners is a collaboration between myself and Paul Because we saw not only in our market, I had these the need for HVAC design and commissioning and things like that. But nationwide in the different green building programs, Paul's business, Green Building Consulting, is in 14 different states. So he sees this all over the country, you know, and he was like, hey, what we're doing here is not just unique to the Cincinnati, Ohio market. I think there's a real market for it out there nationwide. And I think that together we can grow something. So we formed the HVAC Design Partners and it's really have been taken off. He was right about the fact that there's a need for it nationwide. And we basically are trying to put together something that's sort of unique to a design business. We want to be able to offer design and commissioning as a where we're able to actually We'll design the full system, somebody can install it, and we'll come out and commission it to make sure that it's going to run the way that our design set it would. So basically, we're trying to head off these installation problems that a lot of guys have and sort of, in the residential world, take a, what I call a commercial approach to it, because or maybe folks don't know, but just. To be clear, in the commercial world, things work a little different. You got one guy that's designing the HVAC system. You have a contractor that a lot of times their sole purpose is just to come and set the box and charge it up and make sure it's working. And then you got sheet metal guys that come and put the ductwork in. And then you got a test and balance guy that comes back and commissions everything and sets it all up and make sure that it's working correctly. In the HVAC world, residentially, a lot of times we wind up with one guy that wears all five of those hats. And so we're trying to separate it out a little bit and sort of relieve that HVAC contractor from the responsibility of the design and the commissioning part and just allow them to come in and do what they're a lot of times good at is put in the box and install in the metal and things like that. And then do the design and commissioning side from the HVAC design partners standpoint.
0: That's very interesting. I've observed that, but I've never heard it put together that way, where you sort of you take the commercial approach to the residential world, start in with the design aspect, and then finish up with the commissioning aspect. So that's very interesting. And then you can actually become specialists in those areas and impart a lot of knowledge and advice because you work both at both the beginning and end of that circle. That's very interesting.
1: Yes, and it works well for us in the green building programs is where most of our business is coming from right now, even though we do have some outside light commercial test and balance and also recently some like commercial design work that we're getting into. But in the green building programs where you have someone demanding a full design process, a lot of times guys are design is very subjective in the residential world. It can mean one thing to one guy and something else to another guy. And then you have the guys that'll go stand in the house with a duculator and say, hey, you know, want to go there, want to go there, want to go there. And then that guy's being forced to do a full design too. So some of the guys, maybe the top one to 5% of HVAC contractors in the green building programs have the capacity to do their own design fully the way that ACCA and Energy Star prescribe. And then the rest of them need a little bit of help doing that. And that's where we come in. And then we've started adding the commissioning piece like, hey, we'll be responsible for our design. We want to make sure that it's getting installed the way that we designed it. Say for this package price here, we'll come back and make sure that that thing's going to work the way that we designed it to work.
0: So what's your service area? for doing that kind of work?
1: Right now, it's the, well, it just depends. If you want the design and commissioning package, our service area is wherever you want to pay us to come to. So basically, we can do design all over the country because that's just a PDF uploaded to the computer. If you want us to come out and do the commissioning side of it, we would gladly go wherever you are. But obviously, that is going to be subjective to the cost of travel and things like that. So our greater Cincinnati market, where we will gladly for the quoted price drive to is probably up to columbus even though paul and through green building consulting we're starting to do a lot of design work in cleveland so we may be training up some guys to do some of the commissioning stuff up in cleveland as well and then down all the way to probably the middle of kentucky because geographically cincinnati's in an interesting place we're on the border of ohio and kentucky we're sort of southern southern ohio as you can get and northern northern kentucky as you can get basically is considered the greater cincinnati area so our market is really split between the middle of those two states and then a little bit of indiana as well
0: what's the best way for someone to get in touch
1: we have hacdesignpartners.com website yeah there's a form on there that you can fill out we have a Peter Trost from Energy Circle and those guys actually are building us a full website right now, but there's a placeholder on there and a form that you can fill out that will come straight to our email address is probably the best way to uh, get in touch with us. I do want to add, too, that we are actually putting together a Raider training package for this stuff here, and we'll be offering that sometime in the next calendar year to hopefully do group training with raiders on how to perform these different tasks for this installation standard, because we see this as something that's just going to keep getting more robust as, as it takes off. This is just the beginning of this, because one of the things that really is going on right now that a lot of people may or may not be aware of is the load in homes, even on the code side, not even getting out of the green building programs for a while, the load and code build homes is getting so small that you really have to start paying attention to the way things are designed and installed or else we're seeing a lot of humidity problems because of periods of high humidity where the homes just can't really handle the humidity load because the load is too small. And if you try to oversize it, which is the go-to for a lot of these guys, it actually exasperates the problem. Or if you don't handle it the correct way, even when the system is correctly sized, then you still wind up with some humidity problems. So, we really want to be a, put together a training piece for our Raiders to really understand from an HVAC standpoint what's going on in, in the homes today from that standpoint. Could
0: you give like a couple quick illustrations of those humidity problems? Like, what's the actual thing a customer is going to call about? What are they actually going to see when they have a humidity issue such that a contract can get immediately somebody listening to this can tune in and say, Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's give them a little hook here.
1: Sure. I actually just dealt with this extensively in the past couple of weeks. We had 15 houses. Well, let me back up and say we had a week and a half of super high humidity where it'd be like 86 degrees outside and relative humidity was making it feel like 100. Basically, like that was the temperature spread there. So, you know, like that, even though the, the sensible temperature was 86, the rest of that was humidity. And so like these uh, houses in the green building, I'll just talk inside the green building world here for a minute. In the green building world, we're getting the houses so tight. We're down to one to two, maybe four ACH 50 at the most, even in just a lead build home, nothing even passive home or anything like that. And so when you do that, you're closing off all the holes in the house and you're only leaving a few holes where air can come into the house and leave the house from an infiltration standpoint. So during the periods of super high humidity for an extended time like we just had, the humid air from outside starts building up in those places where it can come in. And, you know, this is like dryer ports, the entrance and exit for an ERV or an HRV, anywhere that there's a penetration to the outside and air can get pulled into the house. And one thing that goes on in our market a lot in green building, which is not a great thing, but it is a thing is exhaust only ventilation strategy where you're using something Mm -hmm. like a bat-powered bath fan to pull air out of the house at a controlled rate. But As we all know in the building science world, for every CFM that leaves, one comes back in and that stuff is coming back in any holes that it can. And when there's only a very few amount of holes for it to come in through and it's pulling all that humidity from the outside, then it starts building up in those places and you start getting water damage and things like that. So, like, I can tell you a specific house that I just went and looked at. It had basically an ERV on the one of these pancake, what I call pancake ERVs that hook right into the return, which are not my favorite thing in the world anyway, they on the system to satisfy the ventilation requirement and was running continuously at a set ventilation rate, well, at peak conditions, the HVAC system is running, 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 running as it should be. When you have peak conditions outside, it's going to run constantly. And as soon as the thing shuts off, it's not shutting off for very long. So the ducts are cold and it's still remaining cold and you're pulling in that hot, humid air. And it was the ERV is running through the system where it has its own fan. And when the system cuts off, the ERV keeps going because it's set to run continuously and it's dragging that humid air across those cold ducts. And they're just sweating inside the ceiling. The first five feet of supply chunks running straight through the, the laundry room to get out to the rest of the house. And there was just water damage in the builder's free. This is a brand new house. we ha- It just got certified. We haven't Ooh. even sold it yet. And now I've got water damage across the whole entire ceiling. And so I uh, like, come out and tell me what's going on. And so, you know, the answer is your ERV In normal operating conditions, this would have never happened. But in these peak, continuous peak conditions, you have sort of an anomaly. And so the answer to most of this stuff is add dehumidification to the house when you're building a low load house. I mean, that's the simple answer. Always add a external dehumidification. It solves 90 percent of the problems because it's going to dehumid and you can get into uh, some other more advanced things like dehumidifying ventilators they either dehumidify on the house side or at a minimum on the outside air side and actually treat this air either as it comes into the house or before it gets into the house so that you can handle that load because what ends up happening is you have a, a hvac system that has a very low load capacity already and then the Latent capacity of that system, which is the humidity handling portion of it, is about a quarter of that load. So you got about three quarters of the load assigned to your sensible, which is just your cooling capacities, pure cooling capacity of the equipment, and then about a quarter of that already small load is what you have left to handle the humidity. And even though it's going to handle it at design temperatures, when you get above design for an extended period of times, which by the way, this thing called climate change, we're having these super long periods of humidity that we've never experienced before. There's guys out there way smarter than me right now that have been tracking this stuff. And they can tell you that, especially in the Southern Midwest and Southern climates, there's what they're calling extended periods of high humidity that we've never had in our weather patterns before. And that the equipment that we have is just not designed to be able to facilitate. So external dehumidification really allows you to install the HVAC system at the size that it should be installed and handle the humidity load that you wouldn't be able to handle anyway. You're not going to be able to oversize and handle it because it's going to short cycle and you're not going to be able to size correctly and handle it because the equipment just flat out doesn't have the capacity and wasn't designed with that in mind.
0: That's the point. Wasn't designed with that in mind right there. That's it.
1: And the manufacturers are aware of that. There's a couple manufacturers that I know that are working on what they're calling high humidity air conditioners, where they're actually trying to increase the latent capacity beyond what these pieces of equipment have now so that they can sell you the same piece of equipment at a low load with a higher humidity capacity than what we have out there right now.
0: I think what you're saying is external dehumidification or dehues. that's going to become a part of... Uh majority of contractors' vocabulary here going forward?
1: It definitely is in the green building world. And I mean, we see code houses that have these same problems too and have the same loads like i have a code builder that i do nothing but blower door test for and he builds some of the tighter houses than most of the people in the green building program so i mean there's code guys out there that are gen what we we'll call production build houses that are going to be just as affected by it because that's just where the world's going we're tightening up a new code every time a new energy code comes out it's more insulation it's a tighter house requirement and it's just making the loads go so small that if you're really doing a load, detailed load calculation, you're going to be at around twelve hundred to fifteen hundred square feet per ton, even in a code-built house. And it blows people's minds. Like, especially guys, engineers have been in the business. I deal with a lot of engineers that have been designing on the commercial side for a long time and they're still stuck at 675 per ton or something like that, where that world just does not exist anymore residentially at all, for sure, in new construction.
0: Couple questions to wrap it up. One is who do you follow or what sites do you follow on social media or the internet? You sound like a, a voracious researcher, reader, you digest information you employ it in the field. Who are some of the people you would you follow and recommend others should follow?
1: Green Building Advisor is a good one. I know mean, most people are probably familiar with that, but anything written by Martin Holliday and those guys on Green Building Advisor is usually great information. Of course, everybody in our industry knows Allison Bales and Energy Vanguard. He's an awesome source for information always. I Home Energy Pros Forum, I think is what it's called now. Used to be the VPI LinkedIn ResNet group. I get on there quite frequently. And The best thing, my advice to anybody new, medium, or otherwise in this industry is to get on these sites and interact and get involved in the conversations because in the beginning of my career, I learned more on those sites than I did from anything else that I did. Just getting on there and talking and asking questions, not being afraid to be wrong, be involved in the conversation, so to speak. And that really helped me grow in this industry more than I think anything that I did.
0: Cool. And and last question, a future prediction. What do you see coming down the road in five to 10 years? Could be anything in this general world, HVAC building performance.
1: I see everything being inverter technology. And I think there's going to be at some point load matching equipment where it's going to be one size fits all. Where you basically have one piece of equipment that you can install and just set to whatever the load is. I think at some point in time, it's going to, the manufacturers are going to get tired of dealing with all these changes that happen every time a code changes. It changes their world a lot and they're struggling to keep up with it, scrambling, so to speak to keep up with the changes and to get some equipment out there that's going to facilitate what these guys need. I think that eventually, with the way the inverter technology already works and the leaps and bounds that it's moved the industry in, I think that we're just going to see a piece of equipment that's going to be each manufacturer has one or two pieces of equipment that meets most situations. That's my future prediction.
0: And just, Can you give us just a quick definition of inverter technology for anyone not familiar with that who's listening?
1: The easiest way to think about it is, so instead of having one single stage where your foot is on the gas all the time and whatever that gas is set at, whatever the BTU output of the piece of equipment is, that's what you get, or having one or two stages where it can go down to 30% of the load or something like that, or having five stages the inverter technology is sort of like a gas pedal that just lets you push it as much as you need and give you only what you need at the time that you need it. And it's completely variable from zero to 5 million.
0: Okay. So it's fine tuning. Yes. Very good. Okay. uh, Any closing thoughts? We covered a lot of ground here today. Really, this is all unscripted. So (laughs) we're kind of just spieling it out here as it comes up. Any closing thoughts from you, Jeremy?
1: No, I appreciate you having me on. And I just think that my closing thoughts would be Raiders should really get familiar with this ResNet standard and understand each one of the components and how to implement it. And if they train yourself now, I think you're going to have a leg up in the near future when this stuff gets implemented and people start asking for it. One or two hearse points doesn't seem like a lot to some people, but in some markets, like in our market, one or two hearse points could mean three or four lead points. And that changes the game and the whole entire certification a lot of times. So there is going to be people that want these services implemented on their buildings. And I think the guys should be prepared for it. And from a general standpoint, it's a good time to up your game and get involved on the HVAC side of things where you might not have necessarily wanted to before.
0: Very good. And for those of you that aren't familiar, I also do another podcast for ResNet. And ResNet has... I did interview Dean Gamble and Wes Davis, Dean's with the EPA and Wes is with ACA. And they talked about the standard we're talking about here today, a little different aspect. Jeremy's very much more so a practitioner with this rich experience of implementation. They talked to it from a different level. So I'll put that in the show notes too. You could link to the Res Talk podcast and listen to it. Dean and Wes had to say too. So I really wanna thank you for coming on today, Jeremy. Uh, it was great to talk to you again. And look forward to having you back again. Like I said in my comment before, I'm going to have you back multiple times. We're going to figure out different topics. We're going to do this again, okay?
1: I'd be happy to come back anytime, Bill. I appreciate the conversation.
0: Fantastic. Jeremy, thank you. And thank you for everyone for listening to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. I hope you enjoyed this. Podcast with Jeremy Begley of HVAC Design Partners and our discussion about some national standards affecting HVAC installation grading. You can find other trade-oriented podcasts, Tool Pro, Service Business Mastery, HVAC School, that are part of the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to bluecollarroots.com, where we're trying to do our part to help professionalize the trades by filling the skills gap through training and communication. Some other related resources or influencers out there include Zach Sioda of HVAC Shop Talk, the HVAC Reefer Guy, and Grace and Corbett Lunsford of Homediagnosis.tv, which is the first TV show on home performance. You can also learn a lot with the Measure Quick app and especially through Jim Bergman's videos on the Measure Quick YouTube channel. I also host the Res Talk podcast. You can learn more about this rapidly expanding world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics by searching for ResTalk, R-E-S-T-A-L-K, in your podcast app. If you like what you heard today and have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of any of the typical podcast services. Also, giving us a review is great. Please do so. You can listen to this podcast on your browser or share it with others, bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC dash science. We're going to end with a quote for today. This is from William H. McRaven, an American soldier. In this day of high technology and Jedi Knights, we often overlook the need of personal involvement, but we do so at our own risk. Well, Jeremy's definitely leading the charge there and becoming personally involved by looking at these standards, commenting and getting engaged. And like I said, it's really helped to shape his career. This episode of the Building HVC Science podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. The opinions voiced are those of my guests or myself, depending upon who is speaking, of course. And If you're in the market for some tools or test instruments mentioned in any of the podcasts or related industries, take a look at what TrueTechTools.com has to offer. That's my company in full disclosure. You can use the code HVACBS for a nice discount. I want to thank you again for listening to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Hope you have a great day and listen in next time.